Thank you so much for tuning in to Defining Moments Podcast. Get on social media. Find us on Instagram at Defining Moments Podcast. On Twitter at Def Moments Pod. That's at D-E-F Moments Pod. We're on all sorts of podcasting platforms from Google to iTunes, iHeartRadio to Spotify. Search Defining Moments Podcast. Like it, subscribe to it. We're also on YouTube so you can see the video edition. Search Defining Moments Podcast. Like it, subscribe to it if you believe in it. And no matter what, show some appreciation today, every day, because someone is always rooting you on. One, two, three. Welcome back to the Finding Moments Podcast. My name is Wong Ram, and today is very special because I have the absolute honor and privilege to introduce you to my great friend, Matt Bennett. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Sir. Hey, great to be here, Wong. Absolutely. Before we get started, if you don't mind saying a prayer and bless this podcast. Yeah, that'd be great. Father, we do thank you for all your many blessings in our life. We thank you that your face shines upon us and you bless us um, with your love, your grace, and your mercy. And so, Father, today as we discuss our lives and defining moments within our life, I pray that you will touch not only us, but you'll touch the people that would be listening to this podcast. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Thank you very much, sir. Before we get started, Mark and I wrote you a little note. That's just for your own personal consumption, not out loud. Thank you so much, and uh, you're amazing, too. <laughs> I appreciate it. And this. Wow. Yeah. I've been looking forward to this. Maybe yeah. the reason I've been looking forward to this podcast is to receive one of these hats. So <laughs> that is fantastic. Thank you so much. And we try to go with the uh, Atlanta Braves color. So I like it. It's Chop House. Different. Yeah, there you go. Atlanta, the big ATL. Yeah. Chop House. Yep. There you go. I was looking forward to this season. It was their year. And uh, so it could be a shortened year. Could be a shortened year. Yeah. But uh, we'll see. I understand. Oh. And this is also for you. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. A Defining Moments coffee mug. And uh, yeah. I'll definitely use that <laughs> on a daily basis. So thank you. Yeah. A, a background for our listeners and our viewers that how I know you is I used to coach your son, Austin, who recently got married. And I always thought, man, the, the test of the of a true friendship will be after I stop coaching and you are the true essential of a friend. I remember in 2012, I was going to do some personal issues and you, you were pretty much the third one besides my mom and dad. And then you came over to my house. You allowed me to cry. We prayed together and I am forever net to you for your friendship. I, I appreciate yeah. you. Well, thank you for saying that. And, you know, I, I see friendships as a gift, uh, as a gift, not something to be used or something to be used as tools in our lives to, to get us to a next place. And so when God brings along a person like you or uh, any type of friendship, uh, I value that. And I want to put value back into the person. So Right. No, I appreciate it. And you also made Margaret and I official in 2018. <laughs> That's right. I have, you know... Um, just like you said, you know, it was right here in this room um, where y you probably had one of your most devastating moments of your life. Yeah. And um, I, and I'm honored to have been there for you during that time. 
But then I got to see one of the happiest days of your life, too. Yeah. And that was to officiate uh, your marriage. And yeah. uh, what a wonderful privilege. And so thank you for giving me that honor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How's your day going so far? It's going great. Actually, um, I met with uh, another friend this morning. Okay. And uh, he he's a... Uh, it's one of those friendships that just kind of occurred. I was in, I was in Charleston's talking to some friends of mine from Cuba, and the next thing I know, uh, this gentleman was standing uh, next to me and said, "Hey, did y'all say something about Cuba?" <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's like these are my friends. They're from Havana, and uh, they're here visiting. And he starts talking, and it turns out that um, he's like, "I got to get." got to get together with you. I've got to introduce you to my wife. I'd love to meet your wife. And, uh, and so over, that was last summer and over, over the last six or seven months, uh, we've gotten together for dinner on many occasions. Uh, uh, he, he owns precision auto tune here in, in Oklahoma. So okay. he owns, uh, I believe 10 stores here in Oklahoma area. And, uh, so we just get together and talk about life and uh, talk about his business. And um, it's, it's just had a wonderful morning already. That's awesome. Mrs. Bennett doing well? She's doing well. You know, she started a new adventure. Um, she had a more a salaried position in communications at a, a nonprofit organization. And in January, before all this COVID st- stuff started, uh, she felt the need to uh, start her own business mm-hmm. and help uh, nonprofits and help businesses communicate their story uh, more effectively. And so she launched out in January. Little did we know that a lot of businesses were going to be in turmoil. And yeah. um, But she's been blessed. I mean, she's mm-hmm. been busy every single day. Uh, she's developed websites. She's She's helped people with podcasts. She's a project manager for one of the largest larger churches here uh, in Oklahoma City called the Gate Church. Wow! And uh, so she's been really super super busy, and uh, so I'm 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 very proud of her. Yeah, yeah. And Brooklyn, she's still in school or in college. How's that working out right now? Yeah. So she was at ORU. Yeah. And uh, she went till the beginning of March as a just a regular student, but then when she came home for spring break, they transitioned to online school. Mm. And I and I would say that uh, ORU, along with all the other schools, kind of, it, it was a very difficult transition for everyone because you're halfway through a semester as an in-class, face-to-face uh, class, and then you're having a transition to online and and they just weren't prepared. No one was prepared for yeah. it. Yeah. And But now she's finished her classes and uh, she's... Um, uh, going to be working this summer. She she nannies. Um, she takes care of okay. kids in the summers yeah. uh, to make a little bit of money. And so she's actually has an interview here and more uh, tomorrow oh. <laughs> with a family. Herself, or are you driving her down? Uh, she she'll drive herself. Okay. She had a family that she normally uh, works for in Piedmont, but they have decided that uh, the mother is going to to quit her job and stay home for the yeah. summer. So she was kind of scrambling this week, trying to figure out, okay, now what do I do? Yeah. And uh, she had a um, a family here contact her, and so she's coming down for a family interview. So it's three kids and four dogs. Wow. So three kids and more dogs. <laughs> <laughs> 
but she's looking forward to it. She loves yeah. working with kids. Um, she, she even at ORU, she's been blessed because she takes th- care of three kids in at uh, in the Tulsa area, yeah. and uh, some of the kids are you know uh, challenged, and uh, and so, uh, but she she loves kids. She loves taking care of kids, and she's a very responsible twenty mm. year old. Um, so I've got two great kids. My yeah. son. He graduated from Oklahoma State University last May in aerospace engineering and mechanical engineering and got a job at first at Texron Mm -hmm. up in Wichita. They did some layoffs back in um, November of last year. So he got laid off being one of the last ones they hired. And he was devastated. The first day he was just called me. He was devastated. And I told him, son, uh, it's going to work out for the best. And it actually did. He got a great severance with, with Texron. Um, he didn't work January, March, February, March, and then got a job at, he had already got a job at, at Boeing mm-hmm. here in Oklahoma City. And so he's he's loving it. Yeah. And uh, working from home, actually. Yeah. Because uh, he started right in the midst of all this, the COVID-19. Yeah. And... He got married recently, and how that, how all this transpired? Yeah, because I, I see that I saw a tweet, and I'm like, "Huh, this is gonna be interesting." So, so he, uh, when he was in high school, he was going to Francis Tuttle uh, Engineering Academy, mm-hmm. which I would say, if you have a child that's interested in in engineering or even in medicine, um, please get them into an academy situation. They go half day to school, and the other half day they go to Francis Tuttle or they go to some academy and they, they learn from engineers. And so while he was doing those three years of high school in the engineering academy at Francis Tuttle, he met a young lady uh, from Edmond and uh, she was uh, interested in architectural engineering. And so they were just friends. They went to OSU together and the first year they were still friends. They started dating, I think the second year, and um, and so they decided to get married last year, and they were hoping to get married uh, May the 24th, I believe. Yeah. And with everything shut down, the venues uh, were not uh, allowing weddings to be taken to, to be taken place in the venues. So they came to me and was talking to me, what do you think? And I said, listen, if you want to get married, let's just get married. Um, let, let's do the officiating. Uh, let's just have a, a, a small private wedding in our backyard. And so they thought that was a great idea. So they went to get the marriage license and nowhere in Oklahoma city could you get a marriage license because it was a non-essential function. <laughs> and so they called me and said, we can't get married because we can't get a marriage uh, license. And so I, uh, I've been watch. I, I, I watch you and your your tweets and um, defining moments. And I know that uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, Matt Pinnell yeah. uh, is a follower of yours. Yeah. And so I sent him a private tweet, and also uh, I tweeted something about it and tagged him. And immediately, one of his staff members. Uh, contacted me and said he would look into the matter. Mm. And within a couple of hours, his staff member contacted me back and said, there's two places in the state of Oklahoma that you can get a marriage certificate. One was in Tulsa okay. and one was here in Norman. 
And, uh, and so they went up to Tulsa the next morning and got their marriage Man. certificate and got married in our backyard that, that weekend. And so they, uh, lived, uh, in her apartment until they were able to move in to their new apartment downtown okay. in deep douche. Um, oh, wow. Near Bricktown. Nice. So they're loving it. Uh, they're loving the, this downtime, the lockdown, because she's not working. He's working from home. And so it, they, they weren't able to go on a, on a honeymoon. They weren't able to go uh, on a nice vacation. They had planned to go to Europe and, and see Europe, but uh, they're enjoying yeah. being together. Yeah. So, so it will be a, a, like a delayed honeymoon. That's right. They're, they're hoping to go in November. And yeah. she's an architectural engineer, so yeah. she will actually start in June at her employment here in Oklahoma City. That's awesome. She'll be fascinated with your being architectural engineering because there's so much in this amazing building. But why am I telling you this? You know, you yeah, you live in in England. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I love England. I love London. Uh, I love Europe. Uh, so yeah, it's a fascinating place. Yeah, take take us through your own journey mr bennett or matt bennett it's so weird to call you matt yeah so take us through your own journey of how how did you become an ordained minister or what what, what got you into yeah religion well uh i grew up in uh, a small church in rural northeast georgia uh i grew up on a farm and um um I actually had, uh, I'm not even sure if you're aware of this, but I had a speech impediment when I was a kid. When I first went to first grade, uh, the teachers came to my mom and said, I can't, we can't understand him. Uh, his stuttering was so bad. He had a speech impediment. And so I started going to speech therapy even before I went to first grade. But uh, I went to speech therapy for four or five, six years uh, in my elementary school years and uh, never dreamed that I would be doing what I do, speaking and communicating with people around the world. But I grew up, um, I had a, um, my desire was to make a lot of money. And, uh, and so looking into that was to, to be an engineer. And growing up in a rural um, public school system in Franklin County, those uh, I don't. I don't even know if I knew or understood what engineering was all about. But I, uh, I, uh, I applied to Georgia Tech, which is a fantastic engineering school and electrical engineering, and was accepted. And so I went out to Georgia Tech and uh, started classes out there, and was just completely lost. I mean, completely lost uh, from a standpoint of academics, but also completely lost in the terms of just living in an urban setting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, This rural country boy um, put into the heart of Atlanta, Georgia. If you've ever been to Georgia Tech, it's right in downtown. And my roommate, I was a freshman, but my roommate was a fifth year senior from uh, Long Island, New York. And so not only did he make fun of me because I was a Southern redneck, (laughs) but uh, he made fun of me because of the music I like to listen to. He made fun of me because I was a Christian and I did devotions every night. And so almost every conversation ended in some type of um, 
argument. And, uh, and so after about one semester, I decided to, uh, well, I had come home on the weekends and uh, I used to play basketball with my pastor uh, on Sunday afternoons. And so we were playing and one day he said, Matt, have you ever thought about being a pastor? Have you ever thought about being a minister? And I said, and I started laughing at him. I said, there is never, a, not a chance in a million years, am, am I going to be a pastor? Am I going to be a minister? And uh, he said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you come back to Emmanuel College, um, a small Christian college in my hometown, and why don't you come back and um, and just see what, what God might do? And I said, okay. So I transferred to, to Emmanuel College. I got into some ministry groups where we would travel and, and sing at different churches, about 50 different churches per year. Um, on the, in the summer times, uh, I, I, I started going on mission trips down to Mexico and went to, um, in 1990, I actually went to the World Cup soccer tournament in Rome, Italy wow. uh, on a ministry team where we actually did drama performances on the streets in the plazas outside of the venues. And so you have, you know, hundreds or thousands of people watching you do these these um, these little skits, these yeah. Christian skits. And so we, we lived in tents. We actually stayed in tents for three weeks there in Rome, Italy, uh, out in the park. And so fantastic experience. But um, when I came back from the Rome uh, trip, we went to Rome for three weeks, and then we went to London, England for six weeks. And by the end of those six weeks in London, I just knew that Europe, was where I needed to be. Right. And uh, I just loved it. I loved the culture. I loved the history. I loved the, uh, uh, just how they did life in yeah. general. So I came back to university, uh, finished up. Um, I, in the, during that time, I had already met a young lady there at the university. And uh, she was going on to University of Georgia to finish her business degree, Janice. Yeah. And uh, so... We finished, uh, she finished her two years so at 20 years old. I can't believe that we got married at 22 and 20, but we got married and she went on to University of Georgia, finished up her degree. She finished in June uh, of um, 1993 and we were in London, England in, in July mm -hmm. of that year. And uh, that's where our kind of our journey began. Yeah. Uh, I worked at a Bible school. She was the administrator. I was the dean of students. And uh, we lived there for two years with students. And I think that's where I fell in love with different cultures around the world because we had students from the Philippines or from Korea or India, Africa, Latin America that came from all over the world. And there was a, we normally had 15 students living with us at one time. And so we were kind of like house parents uh, to those students. And so for two years, we lived with those, you know, and it, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Yeah. It was the best of times because um, we just, we were just living together in a community, learning so much from people. It's the worst of times because when you have 15 cultures living together in one house, can you imagine what that, that it, it creates uh, conflict, let's yeah. just say. And, uh, but it was the it was the best of times also, yeah. and just loved London. Um, and then we came home. I got my master's degree from Regent University in missiology and cross cultural communications, 
And then we went back in 1999 and we stayed for additional six years mm-hmm. uh, in London while I worked with the Muslim population. Um, there's a lot of refugees coming out of the Middle East, especially the nation of Turkey. Mm-hmm. And so um, we had a ministry to help uh, those uh, refugees, e- mostly economic refugees. There were some religious refugees coming out of Turkey, but mostly economic refugees coming. A lot of them didn't know English. They didn't know how to. Um, they didn't know how to count to ten. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they got junk mail in their home, or if they needed to go to the doctor, or if they needed to go to a um, uh, appointment with a school teacher. Uh, they didn't know how to communicate with those people or they couldn't read their mail. So um, they would come to us. We had uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we opened up um, our church and people would come and they'd bring their mail and we would read it to them. If it was a, the gas company was about to turn their gas off, we'd call the gas company and wow. we'd um, um, talk to them and get their bills paid. And mm-hmm. if they needed someone to go with them to, with an appointment to a doctor's appointment, we would go and um, help them with that. And it was amazing. We got calls all the time um, yeah. in the middle of the night. So-and-so was in a car accident and mm-hmm. was at emergency room. And could you go down there and, and communicate, you know, with the doctors. So yeah. fascinating time. And, uh, and then we came back here to Oklahoma city in 2000, um, six to, yeah. to run a humanitarian organization. Yeah. Wow. How's the transition like from 15 different cultures in one room all the way back here to the United States for you? You know, th- that was, it's, it's called reverse culture shock. Okay. And, uh, there is actually a term term for that and it's called reverse culture shock. So when you go out and you live in a different culture like England, or even though you think, well, it's the same culture, it's really not the same culture. And, uh, and so you get to, you get accustomed to living in that type of environment. And then you come back to the United States where everything is like cookie cutter. Everything's the same. People want you to act the way that they act, Mm. you know, where in London people are, they're more accustomed to other cultures living around them and they expect everybody to kind of have their different preferences or opinions. And there's more discussion and you come back to the United States and everybody wants you to believe exactly the way they believe. Mm. Um, They want you to have the same political opinions. They Mm. want you to have the same thoughts on the discussion. And so it was very, very difficult because I was used to having discussion Right. Yeah. And so you come back here and you're talking to a friend and all of a sudden now you're having a discussion with him instead of agreeing with him. Mm. And those friends, what you thought were friends, now they don't want to discuss it with you anymore. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And I so do. it's so it was difficult. It was really difficult to come back here, you know, and. Yeah. Now, I have some really good friends that have also lived overseas, and so we hang out together some, and we'll find these hole-in-the-wall type restaurants, and we go down to different parts of towns. Yeah. To, we'll go to the Iranian restaurant or um, the Jordanian restaurant or 
um, Vietnamese restaurants. Yeah. And so we enjoy there. Oklahoma City has a, a, such a variety mm-hmm. of cultures here. Yeah. And so I'm we have enjoyed Oklahoma City because yeah. if you go out, you can find it. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, 100%. But you have to you have to make that attempt. Yeah. And so many people here in Oklahoma, they just go to the same store, they go to the same <laughs> restaurants, they eat the same foods, and that's just not that's not our family. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I just I've always been so fascinated just by oh, every time we talk at soccer practice, mm. it would lead me to just think, man, I feel like. Uh, Mr. Bennett lives just this incredible life in which you do and you understand culture. So my question is, how do you cultivate a culture? Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I do love culture and, and let me just say, preface this by saying I, I have lived a wonderful life. Um, I tell people I've lived three or four lifetimes in the 51 years that I've lived. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lived more. I've gone more. I've seen more uh, than most people ever have a chance of doing that. And I'm very honored and privileged of doing that. How do you develop culture? How do you develop culture in your workplace? How do you develop culture in your family? And it, it's about it's about attitude. It's about openness. It's about vulnerability. Mm. Um, perfect example, and I'll. This is in a, a Christian religious context, yeah. but you know, my if you've met my children, you understand that my children are. Uh, they love dialogue. They love discussion. They love to talk about things, and people always say, you know, how did your your children, they're so mature for their age. They have their own thoughts. They have their own opinions about things. And I, and I talk to them, I, I say, because we've developed a culture of openness within our home. So, for example, like after church on Sunday, we'll come home and we'll have a meal together. This was when they were in the house, but we would have a meal together and we would talk about the service. We would talk about the sermon. We would talk about what the pastor had said and you know do you think that he interpreted that scripture right did yeah. you think that he made that that example he gave was it within the right context mm-hmm. and i've actually had people guests at our house um and they hear this conversation going on and they say how how dare you question the pastor how dare you question that you know like and I'd say, listen, we're, I've developed this open uh, culture within my home. Yeah. And I think that it's really, really important not just to um, take someone's word for it, but to really study, to, you know, to, um, to study, to, 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 to own that information yourself, mm-hmm. that that information becomes your information. Mm-hmm. And so now I have a 21-year-old, about to be 22, and I have a 20-year-old that when they talk about religion, 
or they talk about engineering or they talk about whatever, they have their own opinions. They have their, it's not just some, because somebody has told them that. It's because they own that information. Mm. And it's, it has to do with culture. It has to do with openness and vulnerability. Yeah. And allowing that to happen. The attitude that you, the posture of, of, of your attitude, I guess. Yeah. That, that's really, that's really deep and insightful. And I can relate to a time when I was uh, coaching Austin and I was moving him to a different position. I was kind of explaining to him certain things. And he's one of the very few kids that would actually like, well, hey, coach, I was thinking this because this is what I see. It makes sense. Right. And he is always so respectful, always called me coach, which is actually really cool. I actually enjoy that. And you actually call me coach. That's right. I still do. Right? I know. <laughs> um, I think that has to do with um, two things. I think it has to do with Southern culture yeah. coming from Georgia, saying, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Mm-hmm. And I think it also has to do with his upbringing in Europe. Mm. Um so he was two years old when we went back to Europe. My daughter was born there. And the education that they received in just those six or seven years that they lived there um, it was just a different type of culture, different type of education mm-hmm. um, to make them process to think differently yeah. than most American kids have the opportunity to. Yeah. But talking about football, soccer, uh, he... He 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 was a he was an amazing player, and I think because he thought more like a European player mm-hmm. than American player, and there's a yeah. there's a huge difference there. Oh, it's huge. He he understood what he was talking about, right? Instead of just oh yeah, I'm just gonna play over there. He knew the why and the what. Um, yeah, and, and playing the ball and learning how to space the ball and and, and spacing on the field. Yeah, uh, I think Americans uh, because we've been so accustomed to playing uh, American football. And we try to get the ball from point A to point B across the line mm-hmm. that we're always going forward. We watch any football game on Sunday and they talk about a runner that runs downhill yeah. because he's running in straight lines to the right. goal line. Right. Where um, soccer um, is totally different, mm-hmm. right? It should be totally different mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it's talking about angles and talking about spacing. And, uh, and so... American soccer players in general, I'm not, there, there's some excellent soccer players in American sure. um, game now. And I think more and more are coming, um, will be coming in the future. But in the past, I think what's been holding us back is that we think in straight lines mm-hmm. and we think about getting the ball in the back of the net where European players play above the field and they see angles and they see yeah. spacing. Mm-hmm. So it's totally different. No, I agree. And I'm going to, just one coaching point is yeah. one of my favorite deals was you had to play two negative passes before you can play it forward once. That's right. Negative two, one, negative two, one to spread the field, to look at those angles, make it more defined and open. But anyways, we could go on and on. <laughs> this is a podcast about Longland coaching. This podcast is about Mr. Bennett. What are some moments in your life? You've probably had many of them. What are maybe one or two or three defining moments that kind of have shaped you in your life? You know, I was thinking about that because I, I knew that question would be <laughs> we, be asked of me. And I think that probably one of the earliest defining moments when it was two weeks before my 
10th birthday. I was nine years old. And uh, my father, uh, my biological father, uh, we, we were together on a farm, and there was we uh, there was a horrific accident, and he was killed, and so I was I visibly saw that, and it you know it really had a I could have gone into um, a place of bitterness and resentfulness, and and use that as a crutch through the rest of my life. Well, you just don't understand how I feel. You just don't understand what I've gone through. You just don't understand the circumstances I grew up in. You know, I could have used all those things as as a as a crutch or as an excuse. Um, but instead, I I think I made a decision early on uh, to use that experience to my advantage. Um, my mother uh, got remarried to uh, a wonderful man, Fred Westfall. Um, he encouraged me to go on and get my education, um, to go on to university, which I did, um, which opened up the world to me. But also, uh, as I traveled throughout the world, and and a part of my job responsibilities was to go into very difficult situations, uh, whether it be the earthquake in Izmit, Turkey, where 90,000 people got killed, or whether it's to go into Haiti, uh, where close to 500,000 people were killed in that earthquake in Haiti, to go into those situations and feel the pain that people felt, not to see it as some exercise or not to see it as um, just something, some job that I was doing, but really to empathize with people, to really feel their pain and feel their hurt um, I think that that went, goes all the way back to when I was nine years old and was able to see, uh, able to see. I had the unfortunate opportunity to see my father being killed on that farm accident. I think I'm able to identify people. And I, be, I believe that people sense that. I think people sense that, hey, this guy connects with me. He understands how I truly feel. And so I think going to Haiti and Seeing that country, um, you know, there's a lot of problems in Haiti, but seeing our churches or those orphanages that we were working with um, being rebuilt, um, not only did we rebuild the structures, but we were able to rebuild people's lives. Mm -hmm. And that, and because we connected with that. And so that's probably the most defining moment of my life, um, choosing to be positive, choosing to see this as something that will shape me and define me and I can be effective and successful in life because of it, mm -hmm. or I could have used it as a crutch. Yeah. Um, but I think that every day is a defining moment. Mm -hmm. Every single day is a defining moment. I, I think that um, today, when I leave here, I can get in my car, and between now and, to, and my house, um, I can choose for something to define me in a negative way mm -hmm. or I could choose for it to define me in a positive way. And life comes at us all the time yeah. and we get to choose if we're going to define that moment or allow that moment to define us. And so I've come to realize that. And so every day I look 
for those small opportunities that will help shape and define my life for the rest of my life. I had a professor friend one time, he said, large doors swing on small hinges. <laughs> large doors swing on small hinges. And that's what we're talking about, right? We're yeah. talking about defining moments. And those defining moments may be that conversation I had with a friend at Panera Bread this morning that could open up this huge space in my life this into something that I couldn't even dream about today, but tomorrow or next year, it could open up a space within my life um, that would be a place of blessing and fulfillment and success. Yeah. Or maybe right here on this podcast. Yeah. This podcast could be the hinge that opens up another door mm -hmm. into our life. So, yes, there's lots of defining moments. Wow. That, you know, when I couldn't even imagine being nine years old and witnessing something so tragic and horrific. And mm -hmm. then you taking that mindset of not using it as a crutch, but hey, I'm going to make a difference in this world. And you obviously do every time I meet you and hearing your stories and lives that you touched, friends that you made and keep, friendships. It's, I mean, you're the real deal. You're the one of the most authentic men I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I would say, you know, I love people. Mm -hmm. You know, I value you and I, yeah. and I want to add value to your life. Yeah. And I've had the privilege of traveling and uh, I think I've been in over 50 nations. But more importantly, I feel like I have friends in those 50 nations. Mm -hmm. And even in the last nine weeks during COVID, you know, I've been home. You know, what do I do? Um, I, I don't, I, we haven't told the audience this, but, you know, a year ago this week, I quit my job. I had a full-time job, but yeah. um, I was at university at Southwestern, a director of graduate studies. And I just really felt that I was supposed to quit. And uh, I did. And I, I had no idea. I still don't have any idea how I've made it for a year without having a job. But uh, every day, God blesses in a different way, mm -hmm. and um, and 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 I'm I'm blessed even today because of that. But but I have over the next the last nine weeks, um, being quarantined and shelter in place, I thought, you know, what do you do? I don't want to just be like everybody else and go on Facebook and blast the airwaves. I mean, people, I've gotten tired of watching Facebook Live. So I've taken the opportunity of just getting on the telephone and calling my friends in Bethlehem, calling my friends in Australia, mm. calling my friends in Hungary, mm -hmm. um, just reaching out to them and letting them know that somebody cares. Yeah. And it is amazing the the responses that you get. Mm -hmm. Thank you for thinking about us. Yeah. Thank you for uh reaching out. And the the other day when uh, I made an announcement that I had gotten my real estate license, uh I had that friend who I'd been calling previous weeks in from Bethlehem and he just called me, FaceTime me and said, Hey, 
I just read that you got into real estate and I want to pray a special blessing over you. Wow. And, and then I got to feel that same joy mm-hmm. that somebody thought enough about you in halfway around the world yeah. that they would call and bless you. Yeah. Um, I think that's what it's all about. I, I, I value true friendship and, and, uh, and one of the most painful things, and that's it's actually happened just recently. I had a, a friend that I thought was, and I would still consider that person a friend, but they called and they made a, they made a statement, you know, I'm not sure if I can trust you. And, you know, that really hurt. That really hurt. Yeah. Uh, because I, if you've known me for quite a number of years, yeah. and... I value friendships. Mm -hmm. That is something that I'm very, very loyal to friends. And if I've hurt someone or if, whether it's unintentionally, that's something that I I wasn't hurt that he said it. I I was hurt that I put myself in a situation where somebody did not feel like they could trust me. You understand what I'm saying? Whether it's something I did or something I said, or something, you know, opinion that I gave, I hurt someone else mm-hmm. and put them in a situation where they did not feel like they could trust me. And uh, so, yeah, I value friendship and loyalty to those friends. Yeah. It's high on my priority list. Yeah. But did you find out why that person said that they didn't feel like they could trust you? Did he cry yeah. a little bit? I did, I did, but <laughs> we won't go into that. Yeah, but, for sure. But it, it basically had to do with um, my view uh, of of a leader, okay, and um, my opinion about that person. And you know, I I think it's sometimes we we. Um, Sometimes if we give our opinion about the leadership qualities of a person, whether good or bad, we put ourselves in a situation where people can either agree or disagree. Right. And there is a difference between criticizing someone or making factual state statements that that person did this or that person did this. And... And I will say that I haven't always done the right thing. I've, I've, we're, we're all imperfect people in an imperfect world. And we all have our own weaknesses and faults. And while I value friendship and I value loyalty to friendship in, in, in that, um, I'm a person that, um, I'm a very outspoken person. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I can tend to be, um, when I'm stating facts, um, I, I can tend to be a person that can be critical, mm-hmm. or at least it comes across from people listening to the conversation that I'm critical toward that person. Yeah, And that's something I work on. And I think that we all have traits and qualities within our life that we have to work on a, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And that's wow. one thing I have to do, not not to be critical of people, but 
actually, how can I add value to that person? How can I make the situation better yeah. instead of just being critical about it? Yeah. But yeah, I, I agree. I think that's something that we all can do and become better at. And to a certain extent, try to master. Right. To, to be able to give good feedback and inject more of not our opinions, but how can we help into you? All right. It's, it's unhelpful just to say someone does a bad job. It, it, <laughs> right. It's unhelpful just to say, well, that person doesn't, is not, you know, doesn't have the gift, uh, skill set to do that. Mm-hmm. What is more valuable is to say, how can I help that person to become successful? Right. How can I um, equip that person or facilitate growth in that person in that area? Yeah. And, but we're all learning in that area, right? Yeah. Uh, that's true. You hit on the word leadership a little bit ago. Mm-hmm. What does leadership mean to you? You know, I think that in the world, I think um, it's it really has a definition of, of positional leadership. Um, if a person has a position of authority or a position of in a company or a position within a church. And that, that is definitely a, a style of leadership, a positional leadership. Um, but a lot of times people may or may not have the gift set or the skill set to actually lead people. Uh, I think functional leadership is actually more important. Mm. And that is people with the qualities to inspire, to challenge, to see the best in someone, and to draw that best out, right? Um, posi- uh, functional leadership, I can take a person who, who has a, a gift of leadership, and he might be gifted, and he might be a leader in, in, in business, but he walk into a governmental room and, and into politics, and all of a sudden he, he rises to the occasion because he is a natural-born leader, mm. right? Mm. He's able to see uh, not only the forest, but he's able to see the individual trees within the forest also. Wow. He can see a certain situation, but he can see the overall picture and the long-term goals and plans also. And that's truly a leader who has the ability to see within the future what I call vision or being a visionary person who can see within the future the opportunities that are there, but they can also see the individual in the room and what that person needs to become in order to get to that potential. A person who inspires, a person who challenges, who encourages, who equips, who empowers people. Mm. That's a leader. Positional leadership will use people, right? A positional leader will look at you and say, okay, here's all your giftings. I'm going to use Wong to get me to this place. I see. Right? Mm. That's not necessarily leadership. That's just a person, an opportunist. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, 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 I see your gifting and I'm going to use you 
for me to get to where I want to go. Mm. But a leader is has followers, and a leader is trying to get Wong to the place of being successful. Yeah. And I think at least that's in my opinion and in, in my life, that's the yeah. type of leader I want to be. Um, I want to, when I go to Haiti or if I go to Nepal, um, it's not about what it's going to do for Matt Bennett. It It's really going into those situations and saying, how can I help that pastor or that leader? How can I make him successful? Mm-hmm. And whether that's in a religious setting right. or whether that's in a business setting. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think one of the things that I, I mentioned to you is, you know, I have a, I love micro businesses and the concepts of micro businesses uh, because I believe that people, they have a desire to be successful and, but they don't have the resources to get there. Yeah. And when I go into Kenya or when I go into Uganda, any place in the world, I start putting all the pieces together, right? I see what this, this guy who has these giftings, if I pair them up with these resources, then he can produce this. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been able to help so many people um, start businesses, um, one of the great examples um, was in Kenya. We had a pastor who had an orphanage. Um, he needed $400 a month to uh, to feed the children within his orphanage. And at the time, the organization I worked with, we did not have additional funding to do that. And I said, is there any way else, is there any other way that I can invest? And he he, he thought about it and a couple of months later, he came back to me and he said, you know, there's another guy in this area that has greenhouses and he's making money growing tomatoes. Yeah. And so I said, well, I think I could raise some money to build a greenhouse. And so we raised $1,500 and we built a greenhouse and he started growing tomatoes. A few months later, we bought a drip irrigation for another $1,500 and he was able to grow more tomatoes. Somebody else in Europe saw him with this greenhouse and said, hey, I see there's a a drive there. I see there's motivation there. I see that there's a determination to help feed these children by by raising tomatoes. And so they gave him, this was a nonprofit in, I think, Sweden, gave him a germination center. It has all these lights and computers and stuff, and they take seeds and it germinates like in eight days and they you put them in these little trays like you would at Home Depot or yeah. Lowe's and you go get your tomato plants or whatever. And so they started doing that and they started selling those tomato plants and squash and cucumber plants to their community. And someone else saw what they were doing and said, hey, you need to start a nursery like for like small plants and ferns and trees and things like that. So they started doing that. Then they came back to me and said, hey, we've run out of space. Can you help us buy this farm? And so we bought like a five-acre farm. And then a a couple of years later, we bought another two acres. And another couple of years, we bought another three acres. And today, instead of $400 a month, they're probably producing $1,500 to $2,000 a month. They're taking care of all the needs of their kids. 
in the orphanage, uh, and they're employing because the children can't work on the farm because of laws. And so they're able to hire people within the community that are being impacted. So I had a choice. I could have given them $400 this month, and next month they would have had their hand out again for another $400 and another $400. And in 10 years, they would have still been with their hand out Mm -hmm. asking me for resources. Or what we did was we empowered that individual. We empowered him. We didn't... We didn't develop a dependency, you know, um, uh, something that he had to uh, look for us, mm-hmm. look to us as the resource. Mm-hmm. But we empowered him with a greenhouse. We empowered him with land. We empowered him with the understanding. And today he's helping not only himself, not only the children in the orphanage, but his entire community. Yeah. That. I wish could be reduplicated throughout the world mm-hmm. because we would have a much healthier um, world. We would have a much healthier um, governments around the world because people could pay taxes and pay for infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as we continue just to give money, we're creating a dependency upon us. Mm. That eventually, you know, in a situation like COVID, we're not able to give those resources, and so those people um, are hurting yeah. today. Wow, that's awesome. That's so well explained. You're the walking definition of functional leadership. Well, <laughs> I think we try. That's awesome. Well, thank you. We, you know, I try, and and. Um, I've had positions of leadership. Uh, a lot of times positional leadership uh, is tied to politics. Uh, Not just governmental politics, right. but institutional yeah. politics. Yeah. And um, it's much more fulfilling to walk in functional leadership. Yeah. You should you, you should teach class. <laughs> Friends is kind of academy, Votech. Functional leadership. Yeah. 101. Junior college, collegiate level. That'd be awesome. You're talking about empowering others and not taking handouts. Well, functional leadership is doing that. Mm. And so with your experience and knowledge, Mr. Bennett, I take that class because I want to become that. Well, I, I want to become some sort of functional leader. Well, I just want you to go with me to some you know, like Turkey right. or, or around the world, because I think um, with your skill set and your love of people, um, you would function very well in those like in in those environments. Okay. You really would. So, okay, if when things clear up next year, all right, and travel restrictions are, and depending on where Morgan and I are with, if we're have, trying to have a kid or not, then yeah. We'll, we'll work on that. All right. We'll work around it too. You're so positive. What makes Mr. Bennett mad? Does anything tick you off? <sighs> yes. Um, I probably shouldn't say it. Uh, 
because I, I try to stay positive. Well, yeah. But uh, the incompetence of people sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it goes back to what we we're just talking about. Yeah. People in positional leadership, when there's other good people who are in functional leadership that don't are not in those places of authority and those those places of decision making. And so because of politics, people get in positions. Yeah. While the better suited person may never be recognized or may never have the authority to make the changes that are necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we could do life so much better. I think like even here in Oklahoma City, I think that our roads should be better. Our schools can be better. Our, um, we can do life so much better. And there's people, there's capable people, gifted people, skilled people, but they're not in the right place mm. of authority to, to make those changes happen. I think those things are, I mean, we're, we're, we're making positive steps to that. But I think that's what frustrates me the most when um, I'm a I'm a type person that I want to I want to see progress. Yeah, um, I want to see things done correctly, um, and I'm not in control of all those things. Right, I'm not in control of the educational system. I'm not in control of of the governmental the. Um, structures within this city. I'm not in control of this church or that organization or that business. Right. And, uh, and maybe I just like to be in control, but, <laughs> but uh, that's what frustrates me when I see things that could be clearly done better, yeah. but because of whether the lack of attention or whether it's the lack of, understanding or confidence it 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 does not get done incompetency like it i think that's frustrating for that's probably frustrating a lot for functional leaders because you're trying to empower people it's like hey let me help you you gotta help yourself and then sometimes a lot of people well i say a lot but there's sometimes there's quite a few people that are like no just give it to me and i'll go along with it Another thing that and that really frustrates me is the lack of understanding of culture mm-hmm. and you know here in Oklahoma City, we have a variety a diversity of culture, sure, yet people stay within their boundaries yeah. within their limitations mm. and because of that, we can say. We don't have racial prejudices against people or we're not racist. We can say that because we stay in our own little Hmm. protective boundaries or communities or people. But I think it's important that we stretch those boundaries and we experience different cultures and, and try to understand people. Yeah. Um, I worked quite a bit in Turkey and the Middle East and within Muslim cultures. And and so even today, I'm very comfortable 
uh, going to the mosque. You know, I take people to the mosque a couple times a year and we we view a Friday prayers and we talk to the imam and um, I read things about Islamic culture. I'm very comfortable in those type settings. But then I have people question me, why do you go to the mosque? You know, why do you why do you talk to this person? Why are you friends with this? And it's it's fear, right? It's it's fear based on a lack of understanding of that culture. Mm. Um, When I tell people, hey, I'm going to Turkey, I'm going to see the seven churches of Revelation and I'd like you to go. I have so many people that say, oh, I'm not going to a Muslim country. Why are you not going to a Muslim country? These people are wonderful, hospitable, uh, generous, kind people. Right? What we see on the television with terrorists and, you know, the jihadists or whether it's ISIS or Al Qaeda, this is a small, small percentage of the overall Muslim people throughout the world. Mm -hmm. And yet we allow the perceptions that we we get from mainstream media or things we read, we allow them to direct our life one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, we don't get to experience Turkey or we don't get to experience London or we don't get to experience Tokyo based on a perception that we picked up from mainstream media. Yeah. Um, or our culture, what our culture dictates to us, mm-hmm. and I just, I, I just want people to open, open their mind, yeah. discover for themselves um, what reality is, what truth is, mm. and experience culture. Yeah, that's awesome. And to add on that, whether it's intentional, or unintentional. So I take from Asian culture, right? Asian community here is pretty is really prevalent, and they and the majority live on the west side of Moore or Northwest Twenty Third and Class Met area. They call it um Chinatown, Little Chinatown, something like that, Oklahoma City. Well, the Asian district, Asian district, that's it. And my parents moved us all the way to Moore on the east side, away from the quote-unquote Asian community. And I remember my mom was talking about, well, it's just so you can build friends. It's like, build friends? But now it makes sense what she was, what they were actually trying to do is, hey, go out there and make friends. It doesn't have to just be Asian folks. It can be everyone. And it's helped me out so much coaching, Playing competitive soccer, coaching competitive soccer, the workforce at Chesapeake. Right. The friends I deal with, like, man. You know, that that dynamic, what you're discussing, yeah. is is a dynamic um, that I experienced in London. Mm. So as an outsider going into London culture, yeah. I had the um I I had the there's an intense pressure within our, my own culture, within inside of me, to be around Americans, mm. right? Yeah. And so, if I'm not careful, I I will live in London, England, 
but surround myself with American friends. Yeah, yeah. Right? I saw that among the Turkish people. So Turkish people would come from Turkey. They're economic, religious, political refugees. They say they don't like the politics within Turkey, but yet they come to London and they live in the same area of town and only speak <laughs> Turkish and right. only... And so when a soccer game with England against Turkey, they'll root for Turkey instead of rooting for England because they become more Turkish because they're surrounded themselves with Turkish people. Right. And so it's really, really important to, when you go to a different culture, to assimilate Mm -hmm. uh, within the culture and to become a part of that culture. And I think that's... Exactly what your mom and dad were trying to teach you and, yeah. and your family is that we can't just stay Vietnamese. Yeah. We have to become American. Yeah. We have to assimilate within the culture. Yeah. I, it's true. I, now I think back about listening to you speak to it. It's like, man, that, that's impressive. Man, my parents are pretty smart people. They are. <laughs> I love your mom and dad. Yeah. Well, and they and they're very proud of you. Yeah, I uh, think so. I think they are. <laughs> Coming out to watch the soccer matches uh, on rainy, hot, cold, yeah. Just all types of weather they would come out and watch you. Yeah. Yeah. I know it meant a lot to you. Oh, it yeah, looking back, I was like, man, from my playing days to my coaching days, they they'd still show up. What are a couple of questions that you wish people would ask Matt Bennett? No one ever asked. What kind of question would you want me? Um, maybe, maybe the question I want people to ask is, um, what is your goal in life? Not in this in the sense of how many, you know, how much money I have in the bank or how big my house is or how what kind of car I drive, but truly want they want to know what makes you successful. You know, what does Matt Bennett see or think is success? Because my answer would be totally different than what most people answer would be my answer would be um are my children happy are my children fulfilled um have i experienced life have i experienced this world in which we've been given Mm -hmm. have i experienced friendships Uh, we were talking earlier about covid and if if you gave me a choice in a year from now, um, if you if you would tell me in a year from now, all your family would be safe. However, you're not going to have any money in the bank account. If you're not going to have any money in your retirement, you're going to lose everything. But all your family and all your friends are going to be safe. I would choose the family and friends being safe over money in a bank account. Mm-hmm. Because I believe that is what true fulfillment and true happiness is. Not possessions or material things that we acquire. Yeah. 
Do you think we live in a materialistic world here? I think we 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 live in a consumer driven world. Mm. Right? We yeah. we live in a world that if I do this for you, you I'm expecting you to give back to me. Yeah. And I I want to live in a relational world. Right. Where I value you as a friend. Yeah. And I want you to value me as a friend. Yeah. I want to value my son as my son. Mm-hmm. And I want him to see me as a father. Yeah. That's such a great point. And and I'll take that with like let's say social media, for example. One of the first things in a conversation that I would meet someone they're like, so uh how many followers do you have? Uh what you're following like? And I was like, man, I no, I don't know how many followers I have. And I didn't think the conversation was about followers. I thought the conversation was about meeting you and just you asked me a question on the podcast. And so I was going to discuss that with you. I had no idea that we were going to discuss. I've got X amount of followers and then you're going to tell me that you have 30,000 followers. Right. It's like that is not, that's never been my mentality. And I think that's one of the most frustrating things for me is the consumer driven. How, what can you do for me if I help you? Right. And I think that that's not only prevalent, you know, say like on social media, Mm. but I think churches struggle with the same thing. I'm a minister. Yeah. And so I think it's a tendency within the church to say, how big is your church? All right. And with, the definition of how many people are coming into a building on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. How big is your church? I look at it totally different. Um, Living in Europe and understanding more of a diocese type setting um, where there is a geographical area for a church Mm -hmm. and everybody that lives within that geographical area if you're the pastor, if you're the vicar of that of that parish, yeah. then all of those people are your church. Mm. The people that you take care of. Okay. Okay. So I think that churches have a tendency to say, How big is your church? How many people come into your four walls? But I would turn it around and say, How big is your church? How many people is in the northwest quadrant of Oklahoma City? Mm. That should be your church. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. yeah. That should be the people that you're shepherding. That is the people that you should be discipling. Yeah. That is the people that you should be caring for and watching for and adding value to. Mm. And so instead of thinking about people coming in and you being consumer driven, right? The more people I get in, the more people can give tithes and offering, the bigger buildings I can have. Yeah. Right. Think of it, turn it around and make it relational. Mm. Okay. Mm. How can I help these people? I like that. And um, this is probably, we'll discuss this off the air, but yeah, that I've seen it where in certain, acquiring a few situations, it become opportunistic. Right. Of businesses, churches, those type of uh, right. situations. That, and I'm not a pastor of a yeah. church. I'm not a 
pastor in a local church. Right, right. But I have people that I pastor mm-hmm. around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. Right? Yes. So I'm in communication with people in North Carolina, in Georgia, in, in Australia, and yeah. other Tur- places, in yeah. Turkey, that I, that I help, that I disciple, right. that I pray for, that I intercede with. And when I'm struggling, those same people will pray for me and help me. And so I may not pastor a local congregation, mm-hmm. but I believe that I'm a pastor or a shepherd so, so many people around the world. Yeah. I agree with you on that. 110%. Well, thank you. Yeah. What are you most proud of? I'm probably most proud of my children. For um, they, they're not only two outstanding um, individuals uh-huh. and, not, and, and they've both accomplished so much even from an educational standpoint. Yeah. Uh, they were both valedictorians of PC North. Mm-hmm. Um, they both went on to university. But, and while I, I, I'm very proud of those accomplishments, that's not even what I'm most proud of. What I'm most proud of are they are two wonderful individuals that, that, that loves that they love God, they love Jesus, they love the church, um, and they, they're just outstanding individuals. If yeah. you've ever met them, yeah. you, you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so for Janice and I, yeah. um, you know, moving around and traveling overseas, and, um, and even when we lived here in Oklahoma City, I was gone 30, 40% of my time. Mm-hmm. But, to see how even during, you know, even with those challenges that these kids grew up to be the people they are. Mm-hmm. What a blessing. Yeah. What a blessing they are. That's awesome. I can see that. Yeah. And Ruben, she used to be in performing arts. Yeah. She yeah. was a dancer with yep. Dove Dance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, we go to soccer and uh, I would pick up um, most of the time two other guys two other boys mm-hmm. besides my son. So right. there'd be three of them. Yep. All three of those individuals turned out to be valedictorians of yeah. PC North. Right. Um, but we'd have practice on what Tuesdays on Thursdays, and then sometimes on the weekends and, and we would rotate with parents, right? I would take them some, the other parents would take them some, but one day my, my son said, dad, you know, you're gone 30, 40% of your time, you know, but yet you're there more than any other parent. Yep. And that's not a slam on anybody else. That's not being critical of anybody yeah, else. Right. But I thought, wow, I, I didn't necessarily, I, you know, we tried to be there when we could, but I think it's important to be there in, in, in the life of your child. Mm-hmm. And I think you being there helps with the development of in which direction they're going to go. Yeah. And how, if they're going to succeed in life, the, the type of person they're going to be. Yeah. True. So we tried to be there. Yeah. Um, I, I'll tell you something. This is, you probably never knew this because I never told you, obviously, but I, I always loved it when you were at practice because I know you rotate with two other parents and bring those three young men. 
but I always enjoyed when you're there because you would give me insight, you'd give me tidbits. And I felt like to a certain extent, I felt like just speaking to you validated what I'm seeing in, in the game and in life. And it helped me tremendously a lot. So I definitely appreciate that, Mr. Bennett. Well, yeah, it was an honor to, to, to come out and to watch you and how you interacted with the kids <laughs> and the young boys. And one thing I really appreciate you is that you spoke to the young men as young men, yeah. not as boys, not as children, not uh, even a team or individuals that you just wanted to win. Mm-hmm. You wanted these young boys to become young men um, and to be respectful. And I thought it was, I always admired how you inspired them. You checked their, their report, you know, their, their grades, you know, they had to make good grades. Uh, They had to speak to their parents with respect. Um, They had to be respectful on the field. Uh, We didn't always accomplish that, but we, that's something that you, you know, you put into our kids. And so I, I appreciate that. Thank you for pouring in, into the life of my son and to the other boys that I was able to, yeah. to be a part of their lives too. That's awesome. That's so cool. What are, what are a couple of things that people don't really know about Matt Bennett? You know, I think that um, most people in Oklahoma City and they see me in my, you know, whether I'm a minister or a clergy or whatever, they do not realize the life that I grew up. They don't, they don't know that I grew up on a farm, that we had chicken house. We had a chicken house, and uh, every morning before school, um, I would go down and help my dad, um, you know, water the chickens or feed the chickens or whatever. And I mean, when I say a chicken house, I'm not talking about, you know, just a few yard birds. You know, I'm talking about 10,000, 12,000 um um, chickens in a, in a what we call a pullet house, and so to go down and do those things, um, I also had registered beagles. You know, we I'm a hunter and I'm a fisherman, so when I was a kid, I had registered Yellow Creek beagles that uh, people would come from all over the country to buy from me because they were a certain um, registered. Um, Yellow Creek, and they they were trial dogs. So people would purchase them from us, and then take them to different type of championship shows and stuff. Okay. And so, I, I think that people here in Oklahoma City they see one type of Matt Bennett, but they don't realize <laughs> that I grew up on a farm with dogs and cattle and and uh, building houses. Um, that's one thing I. I when I got into junior high and high school, I started working with my uncle. He was a contractor. And so um, learned how to build houses and mm-hmm. do woodwork. And when I was came home from London in 2005, uh, one of the things I really wanted to do was build a house. And so my uncle helped me. My cousin, um, we took a... Um, I drew out some plans, I drew out this house, way I wanted to look like and stuff. And and uh, so my uncle would tell me what to do in the morning. So I'd put the floor system in to this far. And then that afternoon he'd say, okay, now do this. So the next day I would do this. And and then he came down and helped me put up the roof and 
for about three weeks. They helped work on it a little bit as a crew. But the rest of it was done basically on in the afternoons and on weekends. And uh, I really, uh, I enjoy doing that because in ministry, uh, you work with intangibles, right? You work on people's lives. Mm. Um, and they may be broken people. They may be people that have gone through failures and difficulties in life. And you work with them and you disciple them. But but it's hard to um, it's hard to define what you've accomplished, and so coming home after many many years living in Europe and working with Muslims and refugees and stuff like you know, people in that community to come back and to build a house from nothing to there's this beautiful house wow. um, working and, and seeing something tangible at the end of that that year. Yeah. Was was one of probably the most enjoyable things I've ever done in life. That's awesome. So, dang. How does Matt Bennett want to be remembered? Um, I want to be remembered as a friend. I want to be remembered as a person who is positive, and I'm still working on that. Like I said, I can be critical, I'm trying to be more and more positive as I grow older. And I want to be a person who is seen as bringing value to their life, mm-hmm. seeing the potential and helping them get there. I like it. How's Matt Bennett do with negativity? Um, that's difficult because I'm a people person. Um, I like to... to uh, you know, I walk into a room, I want to engage people, I want to speak to people. And so when people uh, are negative um, toward me or negative toward something that I have done, I tend to want to try to explain mm-hmm. uh, why I made that decision. Or so, yeah, I, I probably, that's probably one thing that I, I, the older I get, the more I understand that you're always going to have people who are negative. Yeah. There are always going to be people who are critical. No matter if you're successful or you're a failure, they're going to always, there's going to be people who are against you. Yeah. And you just have to go on with life and you have to make the best of life and the best of that situation. And do what you feel as is best because it doesn't matter what you decide. People will always think that you have an agenda. Yeah. And I just try to be as open and as transparent as I can, but make the right decision. Yeah. Not, not the decision that is the easiest or not the, de- the decision that, may even help the most people. Yeah. I think it's important that we make the right decision mm-hmm. based on truth. I like it. Wow, that's good. That's real good. Well, I, for one, appreciate your friendship, our relationship that we have. I love you, and I just will forever be in debt to you for everything you've done for me. And just you're just an amazing man. I, I appreciate you so much. 
along. I really appreciate you and, and Margie. And uh, I just believe that God is, is going to do something very, very special in your life. That where you're at right now is not your final destination, but it's just the beginning of the beginning. And as we've gone through this COVID season, something that I've really felt um, the Lord speaking to me is that not just to get through the season, but to maximize the season. Because it's not just about getting to the end. It's about who we become as we're going through it. Mm. And I believe that over the last nine weeks and over the next year and year and a half, however long this is going to last, I think you and Margie are going to become um, something that you're not right now, but a better version of who you are, Mm. a much better version, a, a version that is able to tackle and to, to, um, to confront the challenges uh, of our societies. Um, you're an engineer at Chesapeake, mm-hmm. but you're so much more than just an engineer. Yeah, I appreciate that very, very much. Contact information without your cell number. How do our viewers and listeners get in touch with you? Matt at mattcbennett.com. Um, Isn't... Don't you have like a company too? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm the I'm the president of Spirit Life Ministries. Okay. Um, and so you can reach me at Matt at Spirit Life Men. That's uh, M I N like Ministry dot org. Okay. Spirit Life Men dot org. And is that a place where if people want to make or drop donations to the ministry and all that, that's where they can do it as well. They can do that on either one of those pages. There okay. will be details of how to give. Okay. And I'm active on Twitter. You have a Twitter account. I have a Twitter account. I don't even know the name of that. It's, I guess it's Matt. I think it's at Matt C. Bennett. At Matt C. Bennett. Yeah. And if it's not, I'll make sure I'll put that in the show notes. Perfect. Last question for you, sir. Mr. Bennett, do you approve this podcast? I approve this podcast. My name is Wong Lim. I definitely approve this podcast. Thank you so much, sir. God bless you. That Thank was you. fun. I truly hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have a defining moment or moments you would like to share, please reach out to me. I would love to visit with you about it and share it with the world on a podcast. Here's how to find me. Visit my website, www.definingmomentspod.com. Subscribe to Defining Moments Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed listening to this show, I would be extremely honored if you gave us a review. This helps boost this podcast so more people can find it. Go out and be a positive influence today, every day. Make someone smile. My name is Wong Lam, and I approve this podcast.